Be resilient, and we've been looking at what it means to have a faith that really stands the test of time, a faith that is resilient. And over the last several weeks, we've looked at several things that go into having a faith that is resilient. It really revolves around commitments of sorts, and we've looked at committing to a quiet time. We've looked at committing to community, and today we also look at another commitment that it takes to have that faith. And this is all based on some research done by the Barna Research Group. Um, they set out to unpack what does it mean to have this faith that, that stands the test of time. They looked at really three different types of groups. They looked, first of all, at a group that would identify as ex-Christian, meaning they may have grown up in church, but they have since left church altogether. They maybe even left the faith altogether. The second group is a, a group that is, is called the unchurched, meaning they might go to church a handful of times every year, once or twice. And then the third group that they looked at is this resilient group, this group that has a, a faith that is gritty and is resilient. And so there are really two questions that kind of emerge that I want to call out for us um, that, that I want to just lay before you. The first question goes something like this. The question that was asked of these three groups was this. When growing up, I had close personal friends who are adults from my church, my parish, or even my faith community. And you can see there that this is the adults that are pouring into young kids. It says 27%, those who are ex-Christians, said, yes, they agreed with that statement. They had somebody pouring into them. 31% who are unchurched, meaning those who maybe go to church from time to time, they agree with that statement. But the number jumps to 77%. 77% of people who agreed that they had somebody pouring into their lives as a young kid, either an older student or an older adult, uh, really helped their faith to, to flourish and remain. But the next question was really telling. And you can see the numbers drop here. The church is a place where I feel like I belong. You can see the numbers drop ex-Christians, 5%. Saying they don't feel like they belong in church, 10%. Unchurched. Whereas 88% of those who feel like they have a place of belonging and a place of community, they, they say, yes, I belong in church. You can see those numbers just, just drastically different. It's encouraging in one aspect that, man, at one point people did have somebody pouring into their faith, but then you look now to today, and many, many people who don't have a faith that is staying, that is sticking, is kind of falling through. And so that's really what we want to be about. We want to find a way to have a church, to have a community where people can walk in and they can say, yes, I feel like I belong. I feel like I'm a part of the community here. And so what do we necessarily need to do in order to find that? I want to give you a little bit of an equation, if you will. Um, an equation that goes like this, belonging equals community plus contribution. Okay, let, let me unpack that community plus mission plus a task equals a sense of belonging. So the greater we have in, in terms of what we can contribute, what we can really put our, our hands to the pile, what we can work towards, uh, done within the, the context of a team or within a community, that will raise the bar on a sense and a feeling of belonging. And so really what we think about at the end of the day, it comes to this idea that belonging can really be stirred up through a simple action such as serving. Okay, just simply serving together with one another, having a, a posture and a heartbeat and a rhythm of serving those around us. Now, I get it. If you're anything like me, right, uh, if you've got young kids, you've got a busy schedule, you're like, okay, that's great. You want me to serve with all the free time that I don't have? All right, where am I supposed to find that? Or maybe for others of you, you're thinking to yourselves, okay, serving, that sounds great, but I, I don't know like, where to serve. Okay, I, I don't know. You know if, if somebody asks me to serve in church, it seems like things are done pretty well. Do people even have a place for me to serve? Can I let you in on something? Yes, we always need people to jump in and serve and volunteer and make an impact with us. 
Maybe for others of you, you're sitting there, you're like, I don't know how to serve. I don't know how God has gifted or how God has wired me, how God has really constructed me to make an impact on those around me. Well, I want to look at all of these different questions and hopefully answer them today as we look at this idea of committing to community through serving. That's what we'll be looking at. And we're going to be digging into Mark chapter 10. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you, you can pull them out, upload them, download them, whatever you might have. Uh, that'll be our anchoring text, Mark chapter 10, verse 42. Uh, and whenever we walk through Mark 10, 42 and following, I want to give you two kind of key movements to the message and the thought today. The first is this, we're going to look at the model what is the model of serving? What do we see in terms of uh, the, the big picture of, of serving? And then second, we're going to be looking at the method, the, the method, the how-to. So the, the why of serving the model, and then the method is how is it that we are called to serve and to make an impact and make a difference? Okay, and we'll really pull a lot of this out of Mark chapter 10. But before we dive into Mark 10, I want to give you a little bit of context surrounding this passage. Um, Jesus is walking with his closest friends, his 12 disciples, his followers, and two of them come up, and they begin to ask him a question. Now, it's James and John. And at this point, they might not have been the wisest bunch in the whole group. Because James and John, they walk up to Jesus, and they said, Hey, Jesus, when you come into glory, okay, when you come into your victory, we want to sit at your right and at your left side. We, we want to sit in a place of significance. We want to symbolically kind of reign with you. Okay, now the thing about it is, it wasn't a very wise question. In fact, it was kind of a question that was stirred up through a posture of pride. And what we can ultimately see is that pride divides. When we're not cautious, pride will ultimately divide. And the reason why this is so key, and the reason why we know that kind of this prideful question was there is because we can see the reaction from the other 10 disciples. Okay, Mark actually records it. It says, the other 10 became indignant. Okay, what's another word for that? They became greatly annoyed by James and John. Yeah, that's in the Bible. It says that these 10 dudes became annoyed. They're like, you knuckleheads, what are you thinking? Why would you ask such a question like that? But I love what Jesus does. Okay, he doesn't shame them. He doesn't belittle them, but he invites all 12 of them in. He, he kind of gathers them up. He kind of huddles them up uh, like a coach huddling up a team or, or like a, a leader sitting around a bonfire. And he begins to instruct them. And he gives them some coaching. And here's what it says in, in Mark chapter 10, verse 42 and following. It says, And Jesus called them to him. Right? You can see he's gathering them up. And he said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Verse 43, But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave or must be a servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, Jesus is doing so many things here. Uh, the very first thing that he's doing is, is he's saying, you know, there's this sort of juxtaposition between kind of the, the two ways of, of life. There's, there's the way of the Gentiles. And he says, the Gentiles, you know what they do? They, they lord it over. And that word lord is, is really important. They, they hold this position of authority, but they're lording it over those who are in their followership. And, and that word for lord means they're, they're kind of ruling with an iron authoritarian fist. And Jesus says, that's the way of the Gentiles. But Jesus says the way of his kingdom is something else entirely. It's something completely different. Uh, what, what Jesus is, is ultimately getting at is he's saying, you're not here to, to reign and rule with an iron fist, but you're here to serve 
He says, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. It shall not be so amongst you. And so I I think that Jesus' words weren't just relevant to his disciples 2,000 years ago, but I think they're relevant to us here today still. Because when we think about any type of organization, when we think about any type of business, uh, there's typically a diagram that, that tends to define that. And that diagram looks something like this. You can see it up here on the screen. Hopefully it'll, it'll show up there. But it's, a, it's, a, it's sort of this triangle where somebody is sitting there at the very top. Okay, CEO or COO or a leadership team. Okay, it, it, they're sitting there at the top. And the quote that is often said is, man, leadership is lonely because it's lonely at the top. Okay, let me let you in on a little bit. I don't think that Jesus, though, is denouncing organizational clarity. I don't think that Jesus is denouncing having good structure in our organizations. What Jesus is denouncing is the heart of a leader. What he's saying is, if your desire is to just climb the corporate ladder, if it's your desire to get to a certain position so that then you can rule and reign over those around you, that's the issue that's at hand. Because Jesus says, it shall not be so amongst you. It must be something else entirely. Jesus really flips the script. He he says significance isn't based on status. Significance is based on selflessness. You see, success is based on service. It's not the the seat that you're sitting in, but it's the way in which you serve others. And so if we were to really begin to unpack what is it that Jesus is doing, Jesus really then inverts it. He he makes the, the pyramid look a little something like this, in fact. He says it's not power over, but it's power under. He says you're called not to reign and rule, but you're called to serve. And so when we think about serving, what is serving exactly? You know, I think what we can ultimately see is that serving, just a simple definition of serving is this. It's love in action. Serving is love in action. And this is really the crux of our calling as followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus says the greatest commandment, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so serving is love and action. It's coming beneath. It's coming below. If you want to go big, Jesus is saying you got to go low, and you got to raise the bar on those all around you. And so what I love about this, though, is that this really begins to um, embed itself within what we're trying to do here as as a network of churches within Woodridge and and the Highlands and and Mercy Hill. Because there's a saying that that I've heard over the last 30 plus days that, that we are called sent to love. All right, we're sent to love. And so if we were to take that idea of, of what is service exactly, uh, it, it's, it's this idea of love and action. So we could ultimately say is that we're not just sent to love, but parenthetically, we are sent to serve. That you and me are, are, are called to serve those around you. That the Jesus, the sent one, now calls us the sent ones. And now all of a sudden that, that arrow, or that, that pyramid becomes now an arrow. That for you and for me, we have a great calling on our lives that we're called to be sent ones in the name of Jesus, to be his hands and feet, sent to love in our neighborhoods, sent to serve in our places of employment. We're called to do these sort of things all around us. And so what we could ultimately say, if we were to just kind of summarize, what is it that Jesus is getting at within these verses? We could say this, Jesus inverts the structure of power and influence. He flips it on his head. Okay, significance is selflessness. Success comes through serving. If you want to go big, you got to go low. If you want to uh, reign on top, it's actually reigning from below and lifting the bar on those all around you. Jesus inverts the structures of power and influence. We're ultimately called to serve. That's what we see here. Now, 
what I want to do is I, I want to just kind of give you four reasons why we should serve. Because I realize that some of you are saying that you're like, okay, yeah, I see this model of Jesus, but, but why should I serve, Zach? What, what really is, is the purpose or, or, or what is the reasoning behind it? So four quick reasons. The very first reason is this. Why should we serve? You ready for it? It's a command. All right, just plain and simple, all right? It's a command. Jesus says, it shall not be so among you, but you shall go and serve. Jesus says, as I serve, so shall you serve. And so when we think about it's a command, if you've got issue with that, don't take it with me. Take it with the big man upstairs. Okay, I can't really expound on that much more, but plain and simple. Why should we serve? It's a command. The second reason why we should serve is this. When we serve, we grow by becoming more like Jesus. Okay, let that sink in a little bit. When we serve, we grow by becoming more and more like Jesus. There's a statement that I have in my life that um, when I think about my, my faith, my desire is that I will live, love, and look like Jesus. Right? That's what I want to do. My, my hope is that people, whenever they see me, they'll, they'll see less of me and more of Jesus. I, everything that I do, I want to become more and more like Christ. I want to live, love, and look like Jesus. And when we look at the life of Jesus, what is it that he did? He served in fact, one of the last things that he did with his disciples in John chapter 13, in the Last Supper, he realized that as they walked into the upper room, that nobody had sat out and nobody was there to wash his disciples' feet. And so it says that during dinner time, he actually stood up and he removed his rabbi's robe, his teacher's robe, and he placed the robe of a servant around his waist. And he went around and washed every single one of his disciples' feet, Judas Iscariot included. The one who in just a few hours would go and betray him with a kiss and hand him over to the authorities to be crucified on a cross. That's the model that we see in Jesus. When we serve, we become more and more like Christ. That's my hope, not only for my life, but for your life as well. The third reason why we should serve is this. When we serve, we connect and we belong. Okay, when we serve, we connect and belong. This gets back to that opening tension that we had at the very, very beginning. Uh, because a lot of times, right, we said uh, 5% of some people in, in our country today, they, they feel like they don't belong within a church. But we said belonging is this combination of community plus contribution, community plus mission. And this is what we really want to strive after, that a lot of times our greatest community comes whenever we serve on a team or we serve with other people as well, that we find our ways of contributing and we link arms with each other. And so if I could just share with you a, a quick story of the church that I was at previously. Um, it was a church down in, in Chanhassen. And when I was early on in my ministry career, I was tasked with launching a brand new location as a campus pastor in the Bloomington area. And the reason for that is because Bloomington at that time uh, had a rising population. But the population was rising, but the church population stayed stagnant. And so we realized that there needed to be more and more churches started in Bloomington. And so he said, Zach, get at it. Go get after it. And so one of the first things that I did after bringing a staff team together was to, to form a, a launch team, a core team, if you will, of people who had various strengths and, and giftings. And I'll never forget that as we were sitting there in, in one of the rooms praying together, uh, we were casting visions for why God was calling us to go to Bloomington to, to reach those who were far from Jesus. Uh, I was just a young pastor. My oldest son at the time, was he was two, two and a half, and he did what any two, two and a half year old did during a, a prayer meeting. Okay, he ran amongst the tables, y'all, all right? He was running around, and I'm sitting up there like trying to keep it cool, trying to be like, hey, this is what we're doing. And, and I was like, man, people, what are, what are they thinking of me? And then before I knew it, a gal from the core team scooped up my little guy, Craig, sat him in her lap, and he just kind of like, oh. He leaned back, and he was still the rest of the meeting. 
And it was that sense of belonging. It was that sense of family. Because we were in community together. We knew each other. And we were after a common mission and a common task and a common contribution. That's what happens. When we serve, we have a sense of belonging and a sense of connection. And we were able to accomplish something far greater together than we could individually and alone. That's the third reason. Now, the fourth reason, why do we serve? It's this, when we serve, we help others grow. Okay, when we serve, we help others grow. And this is really important because whenever we join up on a team, you know, the hope is that there is a, a group of people that we are trying to help serve. So it's like, you know, when we're joining up for VBS, we hope little kids will grow in their faith as well. But what's amazing is that whenever we're serving on a team, we actually help other people on that team grow as well. Um, there's a class that we are working on right now at Woodridge that we're also going to bring out here to the Highlands in a couple of weeks. And uh, just in the last few weeks, what's been amazing is it's this idea of working together in a small team. We're all bringing different ideas, different giftings to the team table, and we're challenging each other in a good way. There was one person who said, well, I think that we should uh, think about the, the, the people, and another, another person that was speaking into this class thinking, you know, I, I want to think long-term strategically. Everyone was right, but in that time, we were all helping sharpen each other and help, helping each other to grow as a part of that team. And so not only is the recipient of the service growing, but those who are a part of the team growing as well. When we bring our, our complementary gifts, our complementary uh, wirings to the table, we help each other grow as well. You will become a better follower of Jesus. You will become a better leader whenever you serve in a team, linking arms with others. And so we see it that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. The sent one calls us the sent ones now as well, that we are sent to love and we are sent to serve. And so for, for you and for me, it's just finding that opportunity each and every day to, to live in this rhythm of serving others. It could just mean something simple as finding the, the coworker at work who's having a hard time meeting deadlines and just helping them with whatever they might have before them. You know, it might look like the student in the classroom who's just having a difficult time, who's having just a, a, a tough season. It, it means coming around, putting an arm around them and speaking truth and love and wisdom into their life. It could mean that neighbor that's got a difficulty right now shoveling the driveway or raking leaves or mowing the lawn. That is what it could look like to model Jesus and serve one another. That's the model. That's what we have. That's what we're called to. Sent to love, sent to serve. But now what I want us to look at is the little how-to, the, the method of serving. How can we then put serving into practice? What are some really practical things? The thing that I love about this is that Jesus... He brought together his 12 disciples in, in that Mark 10 passage, and he spoke into them. And one of those guys was a guy by the name of Peter. Now, Peter may not have gotten the idea right away, because for those of us who know, Peter's a little bit hard-headed. Right? I really resonate with Peter sometimes. It's like, I'm, I'm pretty hard-headed as well. But Peter eventually got it. He eventually began to understand what it is that it looked like to serve, and he challenged the churches to serve as well. In fact, in 1 Peter 4, he said these words. 1 Peter 4, 8. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
And so what Peter is getting at is he's saying, hey, I've been taught by Jesus to serve and I'm challenging and I'm encouraging you as the church to go and to serve as well. And Peter says, you know, it's this idea that we're to love one another earnestly, that we're to serve one another, that we're to use the giftings that we have to honor and glorify God and to help those around us grow and flourish as well. And so what I want to do is I want to give you a couple of invitations, a couple of next steps. The first invitation, plain and simple, is this, serve. All right, uh, not rocket science, but hopefully it, it's to serve. When you walked in, you should have received a, a program, and, and inside the program, it says connect, grow, and serve. It's a little teal on the front there. Um, we have a variety of places that you can jump in and that you can serve. You know, you might be thinking it's like, you're maybe that, that extrovert, outgoing person, like there might be a spot kind of on the welcome team. Maybe you love kids and you want to pour into the, the next generation of Christ followers, you can do just that. You can see all the different places, prayer team, student ministry meal team, summer associates, things like that. And then on the back side, there's a little QR code that says scan here that'll lead you to a spot to sign up to serve. Here's the thing, we, we need people to, to jump in, but it's not just you jumping in and, and filling a warm, or being a warm body to fill a spot, but when you serve, as we just talked about, you will also grow in your faith as well. So that's the first invitation, just flat out jump in and serve. Okay, the second invitation, it goes something like this. Maybe some of you are sitting and you're like, well, I don't know where to serve or how to serve. I don't know how God has uniquely wired and gifted me. In fact, whenever we hear these, these verses from 1 Peter 4, you know, he's talking about uh, using the gifts as God has gifted you uh, to glorify God. And you're sitting there you're like, what is a gift? Like, what, 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 is, what is it that, that Peter is necessarily getting at? Well, as I mentioned just a little bit ago, we are rolling out a class here in a couple of weeks. We're doing it at Woodridge and then we're coming out here to the Highlands and it's called Divine Design, right? Uh, as we see it, God has wired us, right? You were knit together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God created you with a, a purpose and with a unique calling. And so Divine Design is, is just an opportunity. You can find out more about that in your program, uh, kind of midway down the, the, uh, the program there, that, that sheet. It'll, it'll have a, a place for you to scan the QR code. But here's a little bit about what we'll talk about in Divine Design. Understanding that all of us have unique wirings, unique gifts, unique abilities coming together for the common good. You know, some people might have a spiritual gift of teaching, of speaking, and others might have a spiritual gift of, of organization and administration. Some might have a gift of encouragement and pastoring, and others might have more of an apostolic entrepreneurial gift. But we also look at how God has wired us. Some of us have mechanical aptitude, meaning there are some people who just know how to fix stuff. Okay, down south, we call it fixing stuff. No G. Okay, it's just fixing stuff, all right? Some of y'all know this person. They can swing a hammer to the glory of God, all right? Amen, right? We need those types of friends, all right? But we all have gifts that we bring to the table that complement each other and that honor each other. Let me just give you a quick note on this. We're, we're praising God that I'm here and I'm not here with the worship team, okay? Brian is, is, is praising God that, that I'm speaking today and I'm not singing today because the only way that I'd be up there singing is if we did a Johnny Cash cover, Okay, my allergies, my deep voice, all right? That's the only way that they would get me on the worship team, all right? You know, I'll, I'll just give you a little taste of it, okay? What would it look like? <laughs> I hear the train a-coming, it's rolling around the bend. Okay, no, I'm going to stop there. Everyone's like, amen. Brian's probably in the back, like, grimacing, like, why would he do this, okay? See that not as an audition, but as a, a step out of being on the worship team. So we all have a, a, a unique ability and we all have a unique gift that we can bring to the table for God's glory and for the good of those around us. And so I just invite you, jump in and serve. Jump in and, and join us for a divine design. You can sign up there or you can head out to the welcome table and we'd love to help you get signed up as well. 
but it's just a chance, friends, that we can be together. Jesus says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And that's what we're called to. And I think why this is so important is because when we serve, like I said, we're not just a warm body, but we're actively making an impact for God's kingdom. Let me just put it to you this way. When you serve, say you're serving in the kids' ministry, you're not just holding babies, you're holding the next generation of Christ followers. Okay, when you're serving on the the welcome team, the greeting team, the usher team, right, you're not just holding a door, but you might be holding the door for somebody to enter into the gates of eternity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ for the very first time. Okay, when you are praying over somebody, you're not just serving by, by saying a few words, but you're actually praying the authority, the blessing, the goodness of Jesus over somebody's life. Friends, when we serve, we impact this world for God's glory and for the good of those around them. And when we serve, we serve in such a way that we will have a faith that is gritty, that is resilient, that will stand the test of time. So friends, may we be people who model the perfect example of Christ by serving those around us. Would you please stand with me as we pray? Gracious Father, we thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that Jesus, you stepped into our environment, you stepped in and around us, and you gave us this model of what it looked like to serve that the creator of the universe, the one who hung the stars in the sky, the, the sun and, and, and the earth to, to orbit around it, you took the humblest form of a foot washer and you humbled yourself by becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross, that you might secure our salvation, that you might secure for us new life. And so I just ask, Lord, that we might never lose sight of this, the beauty of who you are and what you've done on our behalf. May this stir within us a heartbeat of worship and a longing to praise your name. And so we ask now, Lord, that in this time you will be honored and that you be glorified. May the words of our lips and the posture of our heart be honoring and pleasing to you. We pray this in the beautiful, matchless name of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord.